This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. You know, Medicaid is one of the biggest payers of long-term care in the U.S., and that is no surprise. You know, the government makes it really easy to qualify for Medicaid to pay for this care. I mean, for example, you can retain your assets. In fact, there's a whole industry teaching families how to do that. And, well, that sounds like a great deal for families who will inherit those uh, protected assets. It comes at a great cost because it gives people little incentive to save for long-term care, which eventually we will leave if uh, all need, if we're lucky to live a long life. Um, you know, this setup impacts the quality of long-term health care. Uh, when the government becomes the biggest customer, few people want to get into the business except, uh, you know, big corporate chains. And, you know, without competition, there's little choice or innovation uh, that also impacts the supply. So, you know, we end up having a one-size-fits-all approach, and in long-term care, that usually amounts to nursing homes, institutional care. Well, a few months ago, one of the nation's top experts on long-term care wrote a report on these problems, and now he has released his latest work on the solutions. Stephen Moses is the president of the Center for Long-Term Care Reform. Welcome back, Stephen. Very good to be with you again. Well, I loved your report. You know, uh, your first report was so eye-opening. I remember the one case you cite in it uh, about this couple that managed to qualify for Medicaid while the spouse was collecting something like $89,000 a month in an annuity. And, you know, as we wrote an article about it. And I remember it got flagged by our um, our fact checker. And he said, is this right? Did you put in a wrong comma? And he said, nope, that's correct. So for our listeners, can you give us a recap of that first report and describe, you know, it it was full of examples of how people end up qualifying for Medicaid to pay for long-term care. Um, Can you tell us what kind of response it generated? Tell us what the report was about and then the response you got. Okay, well, um, the Medicaid program has been the dominant payer of long-term care for lo these many years. And despite the conventional wisdom that you have to be poor to qualify for the program, uh, the reality is you can have very high income if your medical expenses are also high, and you can have virtually unlimited assets if you hold them in exempt form. So in essence, what happened is that Medicaid availability late in life, uh, including the ability to preserve wealth, created a moral hazard. It suggested to people that they don't have to worry about long-term care, so they tend not to plan for it, and uh, they don't purchase insurance for it. And when the time comes and they finally need long-term care, they slip fairly easily on on to Medicaid. And this has many serious ramifications, not the least of which are the budget weight that it puts on the federal and state governments. Long-term care is very expensive. 
But what it means to have so many people on public welfare for long-term care is that Medicaid can't afford to pay long-term care providers, nursing homes and assisted living and home care, enough to ensure access to quality care. So we have a serious quality and access problem. Uh, in long-term care. They tend to pay for nursing home care. Nobody wants to go to a nursing home, but it's too expensive to cover home and community-based care for everyone. There are many ramifications. The serious shortfall in caregivers that we have now is a direct result of Medicaid not having enough resources to pay people enough to attract them into the business of providing care to the elderly. And as a result, another result, so much of the burden of caring for our loved ones falls directly on families and uh, loved ones that are providing the care uh, with no compensation. If we added the the equivalent uh, compensations that free care brings into the market, it would be another half a trillion dollars a year. So there are many ramifications of the mistakes we've made in public policy that resulted in this system. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone to read this report. It's not a wonky, big white paper. It's very accessible, very readable to the average person who can understand how this works and why this is a big red flag. So I'll put a link uh, to our podcast notes on it, and I would encourage all our listeners to to check into it. Um, it, it was so eye-opening to me. I was wondering what kind of response it got generated from legislators. Have you heard about anybody uh, picking up the flag on this and, and trying to reform it? Well, I wish I could tell you it was sweeping the country, this uh observation, this analysis of long-term care, but it really hasn't. Uh, For the last 15 or 20 years, it's been very hard to get policymakers' attention to this issue for the simple reason that bad fiscal and monetary policy, which has created a serious problem now, for these last 20 years enabled Uh, politicians to kind of ignore the costs, throw money at uh, things, and not worry about being more responsible in how they spend Medicaid money. Before those 20 years, I used to get a lot of traction every time there was a recession and the politicians couldn't make the budget ends meet. And so all of a sudden they'd be interested in what I had to say about how to run the program more economically and have better results. But for the last 20 years, that's been different. Now, the good news is that everything is about to change. This massive overspending, this debt, Mm. um, has created a condition in which these uh, budget shortfalls will not be sustainable going forward. For example, inflation and higher interest rates has made uh, the servicing of the national debt Uh, literally infeasible. This is only beginning to be a serious problem, but it is going to get much worse. And once it does, the door will fly wide open to our being able to promote this kind of analysis and recommendation. I'm very confident of that, uh, but 
who knows when, uh, probably yeah. in a year or two. So uh, I would ask everyone to be patient because uh, the cavalry is coming. Yeah. And, and let's face it, we now have baby boomers who are starting to enter this phase in life. You know, one of the problems with entitlement programs, government, health care, um, Medicaid, Medicare, is that they're so entrenched that to reform them, it just seems impossible to do. Uh, and then if you try to reform them, it creates other problems. Do you believe a solution to this long-term care problem is workable and workable immediately? Yes, it's called the free market. All of the problems <laughs> we have are a direct result of central planning, government micromanagement, uh, uh, wrapping people in webs of regulations and problems, uh, once we are no longer able to afford the system as it exists now, when we get to something that is more naturally market-based, it will take care of itself. I'm quite confident of that because you can see the perverse incentives in the current system created by the government involvement, remove those and it will be in people's self-interest to find ways to make this work uh, in affordable manner. We can have more home and community-based care. It can be done inexpensively. We do not have to uh, warehouse the baby boom generation in nursing homes on welfare the way we did the greatest generation, the World War II generation. This whole corrupt system is a direct result of perhaps well-intentioned but perversely counterproductive public policy. Yeah. Let's discuss now the solutions. Item number one on your list is to get rid of these loopholes that allow people to stash assets into exempt entities um, from the Medicaid calculation. What are those exempt entities and what should we restrict when it comes to this? Well, we, we have a system that in essence says to people, don't worry about long-term care. If you ever need it and it's expensive, uh, the government will pay for it. Well, you might say, yeah, but you have to spend down your life savings, right? That's the conventional wisdom. No, you don't. Um, and most people do not uh, do that. It, it just wouldn't make sense when it's so unnecessary. So what are the, some of the ways that you can preserve your wealth uh, and get the government to pay for your long-term care? Well, probably the biggest one we call a purchase of exempt assets. Now, you can only have a couple thousand dollars in countable assets, but most big assets seniors own are exempt. For example, a home and all contiguous property, up to over a million dollars in some states and always at least uh, 600 and some odd thousand dollars, uh, that's totally exempt. So if you have a lot of extra money and you want the government to pay for your long-term care, just buy a more expensive home or take the one you've got and invest in home improvements. You can stash any amount of money there. Uh, another exempt asset is a automobile. Uh, you can buy one Mercedes and give it away. It's not a transfer of assets for less than fair market value if you give away an exempt 
asset, so you buy another one and give it away. It's called the two Mercedes rule. You can have oh, unlimited home furnishings, personal belongings, uh, and so on. And on top of that, uh, I mean, that's a way that normal middle-class people walk right on to Medicaid. But if you have, have, are more affluent, you've got a lot of wealth. They have things like uh, Medicaid Asset Protection Trusts and uh, Medicaid-compliant annuities. Uh, there's a rule that says if you transfer any amount of assets, millions of dollars, five years in advance, nobody even asks. Uh, it has to be done within five years to incur a penalty. Anyway, bottom line, um, whether you're high income, and if you're high income and you have high medical expenses, uh, the income doesn't count. It's deducted before the low income standard is applied. Uh, and usually when people are this old and in need of long-term care, their medical and long-term care expenses are high. So income doesn't stand in the way. And as I said, assets can be virtually unlimited because of these rules. Eliminate these rules and you'll have a whole new economy of long-term care. You will have people say, oh, you mean if I need long-term care someday, I've got to pay for it? Public, <laughs> yeah doesn't really realize uh, that Medicaid pays for long-term care, so they're not consciously planning to rely on a welfare program. It's just that because Medicaid has been the dominant payer of expensive long-term care since 1965, it had created this moral hazard that makes people ignore the issue until they need it to go on Medicaid. So it's a slippery slope. Uh, that's getting slipperier all the time as uh, the budget constraints begin to close again. Before we get to the rest of this podcast, I wanted to let you know about two fantastic live podcasts Heartland produces every week. We'd love for you to join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, live for our flagship In the Tank podcast. You can watch on the Stopping Socialism TV channel on YouTube, where you can participate in the show in the chat with other fans and also ask questions that we'll address on the air and put up on the screen. And every Friday, also at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central Time, you can go to Heartland's main YouTube channel. Just search for the Heartland Institute on YouTube for Climate Change Roundtable. Heartland's climate team of Anthony Watts, Sterling Burnett, and Linnea Lucan cover the crazy climate news of the week, debunk mainstream media myths about the so-called climate crisis, dig into energy policy, and much more. The show also often features guests that include some of the leading climate scientists and energy policy experts anywhere in the world. There is no show like it anywhere. So become regular live viewers of both of these programs if you are interested in smart, lively, fun, and interactive conversations. We hope to see you there every Thursday and Friday afternoons at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central at the Stopping Socialism TV channel and the Heartland Institute channel on YouTube. Oh yeah, we're also on Rumble. See you there. So, Stephen, what would happen if we changed the rules and we got rid of these exempt entities all of a sudden? And then you've got people who were maybe kind of thinking about this and kind of planning on do, paying for long-term care this way. Um, wouldn't they be left in the dust? I mean, 
Uh, is there a way to kind of phase in getting out of these rules? Because let's face it, these rules are making a bundle of money for a lot of people. They're going to fight tooth and nail to change these rules and, and nothing really is going to get done. What, what, what do you, what do you have to say to that? Well, I, I agree. Nothing's going to get done until we come back to do something. Yeah. And we have the solution. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's going to be uh, easy to impose. Once you eliminate the ability to qualify for Medicaid and preserve wealth late in life when you've done nothing, you need to convey to the public that this is now a personal responsibility. And so we need to get letters from the Social Security Administration and Medicare and government uh, entities of all kinds explaining this is a new system. You're now personally responsible. Okay, that's maybe the bad news. Here's the good news. We can do it in a way that doesn't interfere excessively in your ability to lead your lives. Okay, so bad news, long-term care is your responsibility now. Good news, you are accumulating wealth in any number of ways. You may have home equity. You may have a life insurance policy. You're certainly setting aside money for retirement. Uh, all of these assets are there. According to new research in the last couple, three years, the amount of assets that are out there that could go to pay for long-term care, if they were mobilized to do so, is very substantial. $34 trillion in retirement assets, $12.4 trillion in home equity, and so on and so on. What we need to do is unleash that wealth so that it becomes an uh, asset for purposes of improving long-term care uh, for everyone. How do we do that? Well, uh, I suggested seven uh, what I call LTC choices. These are ways to make it easier for families who are maybe in their mid-years saving for retirement and for children's education funds and uh, keeping up house payments and car payments and so on. How in the world are they going to deal with this? Well, we, number one, only ask them to cover their average long-term care risk, not their catastrophic risk, which is around a quarter million dollars. Their, their average risk is less than half that, and it can be met by setting aside $70,000 by age 65, uh, given the time value of money. It's not so terribly imposing, but where are people going to find that extra $70,000? Well, they wouldn't have to buy as much long-term care insurance, so private insurance would become viable. It's been too affordable, uh, unaffordable up until now. They could have new uh, retirement uh, funds, tax-protected funds aimed at long-term care. We could tell people, look, you can take a portion of your home equity and earmark it and dedicate it for long-term care. It will only go for that purpose if you do need long-term care someday. Half of all people aren't going to use any uh, long-term care that costs them money. The same with their retirement savings or 401ks. Uh, they could set aside 
a portion of that. Simply obligate it legally. Uh, and if it's never used, it isn't used. Uh, and it goes, it passes to uh, heirs. I developed a thing that I call the uh, deferred reverse annuity mortgage, the green mortgage. The idea here is that you just say, look, I don't know what I'm going to have when I die, but my estate, now I want you to carve out a certain amount of that to pay for my long-term care if I ever need it. And when the time comes, if I need it, I'll become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. What we're going to do is relieve Medicaid of the average cost of everyone for long-term care by getting people to take personal responsibility for it that way. What remains for Medicaid to handle, the catastrophic risk for people who are truly destitute, the genuinely needy people Medicaid should have been taken care of all along, that will be its responsibility then, and it will be much more easy for it to meet it, and Medicaid at that time should be able to pay the same as private market rates for long-term care, thus lifting the access quality and range of services uh, for everyone. Stephen has released a report with the Paragon Institute on solutions to the numerous problems with long-term care that are primarily driven by government policy. Now, under current policy, you don't have to be impoverished to qualify for Medicaid to pay for long-term care. But, you know, while free sounds like a great deal to anyone, uh, it comes at a huge cost because we have an undersupply of beds and many people end up in institutional care, which has many challenges. Now, Stephen, in our previous discussion, we talked about this issue of bankruptcy. Uh, the biggest fear that families have with long-term care, uh, because it's not cheap and without any support, uh, would be cost prohibitive for most people. Well, it's actually upside down <clears throat> your thinking on that, I think, I believe. Uh, the, the real problem is that the government and financial planners and long-term care insurance agents and analysts have been telling the public for the last 50 years, my gosh, if you don't plan for long-term care and buy insurance or save your money or do this or that, you could lose your life savings. Uh, you could have an expense from long-term care. Thirty or forty thousand dollars a year for a nursing home? No, more like a hundred to one hundred and twenty thousand mm. dollars a year. So it's uh, we we've been trying to convince people that they're at risk. The problem is that that idea of impoverishment to qualify for Medicaid is a fallacy. I published an article in the Gerontologist in 1990 titled The Fallacy of Impoverishment. People didn't listen then, and they're not listening now. <laughs> the reality is that it is pretty easy once you need it, need it to qualify for Medicaid. If you have high income, as long as your medical expenses are high enough, you're eligible. For example, the rule of thumb is if your income is below the cost of a nursing home, you're eligible for Medicaid. And that's hardly low income. It can easily be seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a month. And as we said in the earlier portion, 
the assets don't really matter because all of seniors' big assets are exempt. They're not counted, such as a home and the car and their home furnishings. And uh, it's only cash and negotiable securities that count. And those are easily gotten rid of by using them to buy uh, exempt resources. So the problem we have uh, is is that we, we can't convince people that they're at risk of losing their life savings to long-term care in order to get them to be responsible. We can't convince them because it isn't true. The public doesn't believe it, and yet they don't know who pays for long-term care. They don't know if it's uh, Medicaid, Medicare, or Santa Claus, but they have a pretty good idea somebody must pay because you don't see Alzheimer's patients dying in the gutter. Somebody's looking after them, and the entity that's looking after them is Medicaid. Yeah. And so we have to uh, eliminate or restructure this corrupt system so that it doesn't create a moral hazard that discourages responsible long-term care planning. Now, what are your recommendations is to publicize long-term care risks and costs? And you kind of alluded to that, that there's a lot of uh, mistaken thinking about what people can expect in long-term care. I mean, you know, we, we don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know what kind of care we're going to need. So how, what, what, is there like a formula that we can kind of rely on to help us plan reasonably well? Well, uh, it's kind of similar to life and death and life insurance. I mean, we don't know when we're going to die exactly as individuals, but the insurance industry can tell you to the minute when you're going to die. You as a set of criteria, um, uh, and that's how they can set uh, premiums and figure out you know, how much each person's individual responsibility would be. Now, long-term care is kind of similar. And what I'm proposing is that if people really had a reason to plan for long-term care, private organizations, a business uh, uh, a planner uh, could work with each individual based on their age, sex, health condition, and so on, and figure out what a reasonable expectation for their long-term care need would be. Once that is calculated, then the person would be, have the responsibility to prepare for that. Well, how could they do that? Well, we have the seven LTC choices. One would be to buy insurance against that risk. Another would be to carve out or earmark a portion of their home equity or their uh, retirement savings uh, or their estate so that when at age 65, they have their average risk and across the population, call it $70,000 at age 65, as that would grow until it's needed, uh, it would cover the roughly $121,000 average overall cost at the point of needing care, probably in the 80s. And so it's just a matter of structuring things so that people understand what their personal responsibility is and to make it relatively easy for them to meet it. 
You don't say to young families uh, who are making car payments and house payments that now you've got an extra payment. You say instead, here's a way that you can carve out assets that you're already setting aside to be used for your long-term care, but if and only if you need long-term care in the future. Yeah, okay. 44% of the population isn't going to need any anyway. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next. I mean, you know, what recommendations you have for younger people? Because you're right. They're not thinking about this. They're thinking about, you know, getting to the next paycheck in many cases. Uh, And they nobody wants to think that they're going to get old and die. Um, Do you do uh, or, you know, the other thing I hear is they're going to be so rich if they're in college, for example, they think they're going to get this big job and they're going to be so rich that they're going to be able to pay for any care when they're in their 80s and 90s. Um, what What is it that we can maybe change some of that thinking of younger people um, and to get them to look at this more seriously? Well, it makes perfect sense that the public is in denial about long-term care risk because for the last 60 years you've been able to ignore the risk, avoid the premiums for private insurance, wait and see if you ever need long-term care, and if you need it, someday and it's expensive, transfer the risk to the taxpayers. As long as you can do that, you can't expect the public to take the risk very seriously. So you change that, eliminate Medicaid as a wealth-preserving welfare program for the well-to-do and the uh, middle class as well as the poor, and you don't need to do much more. The the uh, reality of the need to plan will take care of itself. But we would recommend, of course, that we hammer that home uh, with good public policy that reminds people of their responsibility. Take away the easy money later on, and people will begin to think about it early. Give them ways to think about it and achieve it that are uh, manageable while they're living their lives and are younger before it gets too late, uh, and it will all work out. All right, I've got a few more questions for you, Stephen. Um, do you think that we could ever get to a normal dynamic where people are not so abstracted from the cost? And this is a problem with healthcare in general, but you know, certainly long-term care, um, where they will really seek out value and we will have a normal functioning market in this area where the cream rises to the the top. Let's face it, we don't have a whole lot of clever, creative ways to take care of people in need at the end stages of their life. I mean, it's all pretty much the same. Institutional care or get a family member to watch you at home. Sure. Well, uh, I mentioned in the the first study, Long-Term Care, the Problem, that... uh, You know, government really corrupted long-term care. Medicaid is the source of all the problems we have, the institutional bias and the shortage of caregivers and so on. But guess what? The private sector tried its best. The free market came in and tried to correct these things. So once nursing home became the dominant source of long-term care, and it was so, uh, access and quality were so bad, 
who stepped in but the private sector with this new venue of care called assisted living. It was almost all private pay. And so all the private pay that used to go to nursing homes came to assisted living, leaving leaving the nursing homes uh, with a shortage of, uh, of revenue. Nursing home private revenue is down to 7% now. It used to be 50%. My point is that if we just give the private sector more responsibility, the free market in long-term care, it will resolve uh, these issues. Another thing, home care. There's a very dynamic and vital home care uh, uh, industry that provides the kind of care that people want instead of the nursing home care that the government pays for. Remove all of these government distortions and the free market will resolve all the issues. Stephen, what about a health savings account uh, type feature? We would call it like a long-term savings account. Um, do you think that could be attractive to young people? And and one of the benefits of this might be that if you don't uh, feel confident in predicting the future and you save up all this money and you don't end up using it, it could be passed on to your heirs or your family. Exactly. That fits perfectly with the model I'm describing. And I think if you look uh, closely in the report, you'll see that health savings account uh, is one of the seven choices, uh, is part of one of the seven uh, LTC choices to fix uh, the problem. So absolutely, it makes perfect sense. One final question about charity care. Let's say we renew incentives to organizations to help pay for the costs of those who truly slip through the cracks. How much of this could ease the tax burden and restore more of a free market? Well, charity care was uh, vital early on, but then the government stepped in and uh, kind of took that responsibility away from uh, uh, charitable philanthropic uh, organizations. I think, unfortunately, we've been so steeped in the idea that it's somehow government's responsibility to provide a social safety net that it would be very hard uh, to return to a, a charity-based system. But if we do what I'm proposing, I think there's uh, every possibility that private charity and philanthropy will become uh, a bigger uh, contributor than it has been since its role was obviated uh, starting in 1965 with Medicaid as it bears on long-term care. And charitable care is often compassionate care. And a lot of people think that government should be in the charity care business, but there's nothing compassionate about government care. The wonderful thing about private charity is that it is provided with good judgment and uh, people who deserve it and need it and uh, and ought to get it, get it. Whereas with government, everybody has to be treated the same, no matter how irresponsible or undeserving they are. Uh, as long as they meet whatever the criteria are. I know that's well-intentioned, but it has the effect of uh, 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 punishing the good and rewarding the bad behavior, just like so much in uh, public policy. 
Well, Stephen, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're always uh, great to have as a guest, and you uh, educate us so well about this issue that we really do not think about enough. But there's, it seems so easy, and um, you know, compared to other healthcare problems, and this one seems like it's very fixable. But uh, the will is just not there yet. But thanks to your work, I'm hoping that's changing. My pleasure, and thank you, Anne Marie. All right, Stephen Moses from the Center of Long-Term Healthcare Reform, and I'll include links to both of his reports, Long-Term Care, the Problems, and Long-Term Care, the Solutions. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your listening and sharing our link. For the Heartland Daily Podcast, this is Anne-Marie Schieber.